the structure of political opportunity is actually Welcome back to the New Pathways podcast. I'm J.V. Hampton Van Sant, your host and guide through these podcasts. So today I'm bringing you the lab from May 22nd. Um, it was at 1.30 p.m. And it is Who is Caring for the Economic Survival of Our Black and Brown Communities? This talk featured Malia Lazu, Shirley Edgerton, Don Meredith Simmons, and John Lewis. As always, this conversation was moderated by Ashante Renee and co-led with Gwendolyn Hampton Van Sant. Please enjoy this excellent conversation. Be well, do as much good work as you possibly can, and stay safe out there. Uh, so thank you, everyone. Thank you for being here. So we are going to now just jump in and hear from each of our panelists of how, um, from watching Malia's video and her examples of how um, Berkshire Bank and Malia's life work has been about caring for black and brown communities. And some of you might have also watched Andre's um, piece, which is really focused on um, disrupting white structures and white systems. Um, so those are sort of food for thought for the conversation today. Shirley's gonna talk to us first about um, bridging that conversation, the theme of today, and the work that Shirley holds in our community. So, Shirley, um, the last thing I'm going to say is Danya's timekeeping. So, we everyone has five minutes, and in your chat, you'll get the one-minute warning. And if you go at five minutes, we'll start dancing and making motions for you to wrap well, up. John's music. <laughs> John's music, right? So jazz. All right. <laughs> All right, Shirley, you're up. Thank you. Thank you, um, Gwen, and thank you for the opportunity to share. Uh, I have the pleasure and honor of working with a lot of young people, learning lessons every day, and COVID, the COVID experience uh, has not been any different. And there are many areas of concern uh, that our young people are expressing, or, and also that I have assessed in terms of their behaviors. Um, one of the major issues of concern, um, not labeled by the young people, but clearly by their behavior, is I'm deeply concerned about the mental health of many of our young people. Um, there's uh, anxiety, there's a sense of hopelessness amongst our young people uh, preparing to go to college in the fall. Uh, there's a concern around the quality or the, the lack of a quality of education, you know, for the last few months. Um, we often hear about the summer slide. So the summer slide has extended to uh, part of the traditional school year. Um, there is, there are some young people who are mandated with the basic, tr trying to contribute to the basic needs of their families in terms of having to find jobs uh, because there's unemployment in the household, uh, there's a lack of resources. Then you have the other side of that coin where 
there are some of our adolescents who are um, traditionally probably used to being uh, taking on lots of responsibilities in terms of caring for their siblings, but it has intensified during this period of time. There's also the issue of technology or the lack of technology for some of our young people. Uh, some of those who have been able to obtain technology or the school has provided it, there are issues around internet. And there's also an, an issue of, of loneliness, you know, like all of us, um, but it's, it's, it's more pronounced, you know, amongst our young people uh, because they're not as uh, equipped as we are in terms of the skills to be able to deal with the COVID experience. Um, so I'm, I'm deeply concerned, um, particularly our young people of color coming from under-resourced households who already feel disconnected from major parts and systems in our community. So this has intensified their experiences um, and feeling like they're invisible, uh, feeling like no one is hearing them and no one is seeing them. Um, so one of the recommendations I would like to make uh, is that as we have conversations now to focus on how to address the emergencies of COVID and as we prepare to enter the next phase of our life, I won't say life is, is normal because I, don't, I think it, it will be the next phase of our, our lives, whatever that will look like, that we really need to make sure that we include young people at the table um, and not just, you know, young people, but there needs to be diversity in the young people. I mean, we, when we talk about including people of color, you know, we have to, you know, we're not a monolithic group. Um, I can tell you, half of the Black folks sitting on this panel, we probably disagree every other conversation. You know? so, <laughs> so, so, um, so I would strongly recommend that we have more than one young person of color at the table, that we have many folks who can express different experiences and different perspectives. Um, and as, as Gwen has been saying, and Gwen and I have been having this conversation for a couple of weeks now, we're probably tired of hearing it from, folks are probably tired of hearing it from us, but I can't emphasize enough the need for the continual conversations around DEI work. I mean, you, we, we can't, we cannot uh, exclude that conversation. It should be just as basic as us getting up and having breakfast in the morning biases you know being aware of our biases and uh ensuring that we are conscious of our behaviors conscious of our language when we um when, when we engage with people in the community over zoom or, or whatever form of communication you're utilizing it, it's 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 imperative um I've, I've been on a couple of zooms and it's really disturbed me a bit the language that we use. So we want to be welcoming to young people and the folks of color. We have to be aware. We have to be aware of the language. We have to ensure that, that there's a, a representative, of this, there's the representation of the culture so that everyone feel like they're wanted at the table. Um, oh, am I? Oh, time's up. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Shirley. Uh, okay. uh, Thank you. I'm going to move to uh, John next. Okay. Oh, cool. Thank you. Um, 
in terms of the Black Economic Council, I think that what we've been looking at, and also as executive chair for NAACP, is some of the same issues. Um, and I'll start where Shirley stopped, and that was uh, in a conversation that Gwen and I had that there were just not enough people at the table. So we saw this gap and lag in terms of resource distribution. But we also saw that as we were marshalling resources to help Black businesses um, over time that there were no programs or infrastructures directly there to help them. And the ones that were being developed uh, was based on an old model of white male structure having this relationship with banks. Therefore, you had the, thus the PPP loans and the EIDL loans. What we discovered, and through overtime, in terms of demographic, and this is from a Bloomberg article on CNBC, that there were, that the landscape of the entrepreneur has completely changed. Um, mostly women, gig economy, Although there's a massive growth in immigrant black business and brown business growth, the type of businesses that they are are not ones that have like traditional relationships with banks. So how does that triangulate into the work that um, Reset was doing or myself as a person of color who's only been here for maybe 16 months, um, who said, hey, when I was going to the one Berkshires and all of those networking events, there was no one that looked like me there except for me as the only black entrepreneur in the room. And understanding that there was a real gap in that space, I began to start thinking about how and what we could do um, as a community or what could I do with myself to connect in the community to create a space and an ecosystem that supported black and brown businesses. But not only that, from a larger uh, picture from the Black Economic Council, one, one from that also looked at other areas because for us, it's just not economics, it's socioeconomic. So looking at, you know, um, you know, social justice issues as it relates to mass incarceration, uh, how is that an economic issue? Health and wellness, how is that an economic issue? Uh, so we ended up creating a steering committee of Shirley, AJ, Intro Family, um, myself, uh, Chad from the Secretary of NAACP, and Reset Enterprises to really triangulate around what we would need to have as what I think should be an overall Black agenda. And that we begin to build that agenda in the form of an idea jam and where we engaged all Black community stakeholders in really coming together to do that. And I would like to say that Berkshire Bank and, and uh, Greylock and One Berkshire were very supportive of that. So we raised a $22,500 grant for that to really be able to do that. Now, Idea Jam is coming up next week, May 28th. So I would like to invite everybody out to that. But what we were seeing is, is typically the same thing, is the fact that in every situation where there's a crisis, we know that Black folks are going to have adverse effects. Um, I think Dennis Powell said it more importantly. So when, when white folks catch a cold, Black folks catch pneumonia. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we're seeing as of right now. So in terms of rethinking moving forward, not only during COVID, but what we're also rethinking post-COVID is building more independent framework structures where our own institutions, where we can marshal our own funds and distribute our own resources directly into our community. And we work together better as a collaborative community in terms of cooperative nature. And we started to see some of that already. We had a round table with all the community leaders, the bankers and politicians, thanks to Gwendolyn and NAACP, uh, which really opened that up. Um, we also did another, and out of that came recommendations. Um, so we're also looking at creating a fund. 
where we'll need really big support from. We're looking at um, working more of just data, like diversity, equity, and inclusion data. Like we need data to understand like where are the gaps and what's missing. And then we're really looking at collaborative structures and partnerships uh, to really kind of push these through, but being led by a black agenda. I think what my problem is in this area, I won't say problem, I think what's very challenging is that um, understanding that there is a need for black institutions to be developed, to distribute their own services and capital and programs to their own community and not triangulate them through white organizations who traditionally are not DEI trained. And so that's where a big gap and lag is coming in. So we're really pushing uh, as a uh, Black Economic Council to not only foster business development, but create more collaborative opportunities, create more infrastructure and uh, businesses and initiatives that are Black-led to marshal resources to our own communities in a way that is more impactful and more effective. So uh, that's what, we, what we've been working on and would love um, for that support to happen. The idea jam is the first part of that. And then the other part, no, I'll, I'll stop there because I think that's a really good part to stop. Thank you, John. Cool. Um, and we can post some of the information about the idea jam in the chat. Um, so next up we have Dawn. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, so I just wanna, like there's so much that, um, has been said that I kind of already, that I just want to like reinforce, right? The idea that the DEI work right now, like now is not the time for that to stop. Um, and right, I know a lot of organizations have put a pause on it. Um, and, and you can see it in the way that that is sort of borne out in the media, in the, on the funding landscape, right? Who's getting the money, who has access to money, um, who, whose stories are being heard, um, what organizations and institutions and individuals are sort of rising to the top as people who need care and need support. Like, uh, it's just so, so interesting. So I kind of want to lift that up as a thing that I am seeing back out here um, in the Boston area. Um, and then that idea of like, how do we create the space to support black economic opportunity? So the front porch, we're a new organization by three we're three years old now, and our sort of mission and goal, right, aside from promoting like racial and economic justice uh, in the Boston area, like doing that through theater, through storytelling, is also to start putting um, artists, like black and brown artists at the forefront of decision-making so that our stories are not always being filtered through um, white-led organizations, but so that we are brought to the table um, and sought out as people to be um, on the administration staff, um, on the board are also the creators um, and creatives. So right, um, trying to put in the pipeline, um, black and brown directors, designers, actors, all of that. Um, and we also have like a, a pretty robust apprenticeship program. So also working in the high schools um, and with colleges to sort of find those artists who have the, that desire or that curiosity and then trying to like nurture that spark. Um, I think in New England, uh, we don't see a lot of black and brown artists on the creative side outside of like acting, 
right? Um, so what we want to do is show that this is a viable um, economic pathway, right? There is, there is a way to make a living here. Unfortunately, COVID kind of put that on a halt, right? Everybody who had a job, let's say in from April, from March till now, and even looking at like September through December, right? A lot of folks are out of work. So it's hard to make the case that you can find employment here when all work has stopped. But I think that is also the trick of the gig economy and sort of, um, promoting this as uh, a way, if you are an independent contractor, if you are, um, if, if that is your path, there, there is economic growth here. Um, so one of the things that we are looking at, right, um, because our community is so small, um, ooh, thank you, one minute, because our community is so small, like we find a lot of our artists are being are sought out by like several theaters at one time. And now the thing that they're going to be facing is um, this idea of all of these shows, all of these productions coming together and everybody sort of seeking out the same people um, to do work, like say all in a, in a giant cluster. And how, how can we start to foster and develop that idea that there are more than just the five black and brown artists that you know, um, that you maybe have heard of, that there are more of us and we all deserve um, an opportunity and a chance to, to be able to work in this community. Um, so right, like that, that, that is the thing we are trying to figure out I think how we can take care of our artists economically, make sure that there is a place for them, not just before, but like post COVID, whatever that, that sort of looks like. Uh, I think I've run out of time. There's so much to say, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, Ashanti, I wanna check in. I would like the two people that joined to introduce yourself and your affiliations. And if you can um, rename yourself that way. So, Al, do you want to introduce yourself? Maybe not. Oh. Al might be a co-chair of the... Al, can you start over? Sorry. All right. I got to take my... I said, my name is Al Blake, and I'm a, 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 a volunteer for Multicultural Bridge and also co-chair of the NAACP environmental and climate justice committee all right thank you and then josie do i need to unmute you too hi um my name is josie green and i'm a donor of multicultural bridge and uh happy to be listening to this conversation thanks thank you and um malia's on her way ashanti so i don't i think you could probably start with your piece and then we'll have, we'll take a pause and have Malia do her presentation. Okay. Um, so first, thank you all for, for everything that you shared and honestly for just jumping right into it and just naming the thing. Um, yeah. That's not something that happens as much. And so I'm grateful it makes my job much easier. Uh, I'm going to try to bring together some things that I've heard that you all shared and I'm going to ask y'all some very specific questions to expand upon for our group. Um, DEI work keeps coming up in, in this conversation and how do we make it more equitable and equitable not being equal, right? There truly being a difference there. And if I'm hearing you all correctly in your respective areas, it's like the regression of DEI work is an endorsement of our old reality. And, and 
if I'm if I'm kind of bringing all the pieces, like if you start taking away the DEI work, especially now when more people are going to have to come together and work together, then we're just going to perpetuate more of the same into the work versus pulling out of it. Am I am I getting that right before I move forward? I'm checking with the okay. It's like I'm also trying to find the faces in the sure. Okay, um, and so I want to. Aaliyah's just joining, just so you know, just in case. I don't want to mess up your flow. Well, let's pause and have Malia say, you know, give, give her presentation, and then I will jump back in. I'm flexible here. Hello, hello. Sorry about that. I was having trouble jumping in from my computer, so I'm on my phone. Hi, welcome. We have just uh, gotten started and your other co-panelists have all done their five-minute presentations and we were just about to get into questions for the panel and you arrived. So I'm wondering right, So why don't we just keep, why don't just hello everyone, it's an honor to be here. I'm so sorry <laughs> to be late. We had a management meeting that got moved. Um, but I am more than happy to just continue to go with the flow and we can just go to questions because I know that's the best part of the conversation. That's great. And we all got to see you on the video. So, in the video. Yeah. Okay. All right. Awesome. Thank well, you. Thanks for being here. All right. Uh, so, Leah, I also watched your video and have a lot of questions and thoughts. I loved it. Um, <laughs> and so just to catch you up, I just kind of, I guess, gave a quick recap of a point that keeps coming up for everyone, and it's around this DEI work. And so the regression of DEI work is, in fact, an endorsement of the old way of life, the old reality. Um, and so something that... I wanted us to, I wanted to hear more about, because this conversation is more about support and repair, like strategies for support and repair. Um, I want to actually start with John, because um, something that he shared, and then it kind of runs through the different groups. Don mentioned it, and it's about this monolith piece, and how we make sure we're not that, or we're not, you know, known just for the five to seven known blacks or blue check blacks like if you have you know if you're on twitter it's like okay they've been verified we can work with them and so how do we build and this is for everyone to answer don is cracking up at me right now um how do we build a collective black agenda without becoming pigeonholed into a monolith what does that actually look like like how how do we start building something like that out in real time and i know shirley will chime in with you know what type and she, she spoke about the diversity of youth and so I would just love to hear from everyone and starting with you since you brought in the black agenda component how do we start cool. building something like that out all like just in general without being pigeonholed into this yeah, space I, I love that question and uh that's a really good question I'm glad you honed in on that um for for us well we we with Reset, we had a, a product or a, a, a way of initiating moving forward, which was called an idea jam, where we bring together all different cohorts of the community um, to really engage around certain topics and issues and ideate around it. Thus, they have a direct buy-in from their own perspective. Uh, and then from that idea jam, we marshal a report um, and recommendations from that. The whole notion of this or the whole idea behind this is for the community to see themselves together, see themselves working together, ideating and designing their own future, and then being included in um, marshalling their own recommendations around the agenda in terms of what they see. 
and that being presented back to them in a way where they see it's accessible. One of the first things that we're doing with the Idea Jam that I think is really uh, answering your particular question is because we're a monolith is we're starting with a leadership jam, meaning that, and we have Du Bois, du Bois Thomas leading that, really coming from the perspective of that every person has time, talent, and resources to bring and ideas to the table. First of all, you have to see yourself as your own leader mm -hmm. in order to be able to help lead the vision that you see and you can lead it from your perspective or from your particular work that you're doing or whatever and then see how that ties in A, to the agenda and B, how you can collaborate with others as it begins to move forward. So then therefore, each individual person has their own uh, uh, buy-in or commitment to that scenario. The other piece that we're layering on top of this is what is called, after we do the IGEM steering committee, is going to be what is an organizational innovation called holacracy. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things that the Black community has a problem with, or any community, is that when a leader dies, then the movement dies. Mm -hmm. So how do we look at distributive leadership models and really adopt those and have those at the core mm -hmm. of how we actually achieve said agenda? So then uh, that's the other piece that's really going to be moving forward. And then the third part of that is collaborative partnerships. And I think this is where the DI work gets in to where we're saying, here's the agenda, here's the leadership or distributive leadership model. Here is uh, the holocratic uh, perspective of how this is gonna move forward. But third, the other part of that is, is that how do we create shared value exchange and collaborations between organizations? And how it doesn't pigeonhole us is that uh, we begin to build those collaborations, have a framework for that in terms of how we connect with other organizations, whether it be white, Latino, Asian, or whatever, as it relates to that set agenda, and then create what we call shared value exchange, or we call triple wins, or the triple bottom line. Mm -hmm. So then, so what we're doing is bringing a lot of different innovations to it, this organizational innovations, but it being built from the organization, from, from, from the community, with the community, starting with a leadership framework that I think will build the foundation that distributes the leadership and also has the buy-in. And then ultimately the collaborative model where we bring in other partners to say, hey, where do you fit in? How can you support this particular agenda? And then for people to see their win-wins. And so that's how we're approaching it. Or that would be the vision of how I would like to see it approached mm -hmm. um, as it relates to moving forward. So I'll and, just And are that. they coming in to this, when you get to the collective piece, is it, some type of, I guess, quality assurance that they have also done the same amount of work you've done going in. So there isn't a monolith of the Asian experience. There isn't a monolith of the queer experience. There isn't a monolith of, um, you know, the differently abled experience. So them doing their work around that before they can come into the collective. Yeah, I think that would be absolutely what's necessary. You know, um, I look at, for example, yes, that is a yes. <laughs> And the, the example that I look at is not, is not from the different organization agent experience. It may be from, let's say, the banking experience, where that work has already been done via Berkshire Bank, you know, and they've hired Malia, and Malia's hired, uh, the Berkshire Bank has hired Gwendolyn, and they're doing this work and really deconstructing some of the disparities that as it relates to banking, and then actually created products and programs that actually address that. They would be a great partner to the Black agenda because they represent that. So, and that's who we want to be a part of the collaborative structure and model. 
Mm-hmm. So you literally just went into the question I was going to have for Malia of what does this look like <laughs> and how do we fund it? Um, thank you. Quite easy for me. Um, but before we go into that, I also want to make sure we make space for Shirley and Don to add anything they may want to add to that particular question. And then Malia will come to you because I would like to hear how we pay for this. <laughs> yeah, I, oh. yeah I, I would like to uh, just share uh, an experience that's occurring right now. Um, we have uh, a Zoom three days per week link up called We Are In This Together link up. It's, it's totally dedicated to young people. So they, it's youth driven. They develop the topics. They uh, facilitate the conversations. And um, we have a college student and a young millennial um, who also helps uh, guide them and help them to keep the conversations broad and to ensure that it's inclusive. So for example, some of the things we've done is we've had, um, I think it's at least six college students from HBCUs. And so we've had this conversation about the value of HBCUs, the history, why they exist. I see you, (laughs) why they exist, their, their impact. And such a, it was such a rich conversation. We have a young woman who is the chairperson of the youth committee in NACP. She contacted me this week, as a matter of fact, suggesting that it was time for us to resume some conversations that they had started in the community, actually in uh, one of the high schools here, where a, a group of 20 to 30 students gather every Thursday morning And they have a wide variety of conversations around social justice um, issues. And when I tell you there's diverse diverse minds, it's from um, going from Bernie Sanders to uh, my girl who's hanging out there with the conservatives, okay? It is just absolutely amazing to have all of these young folks, a large percentage of color, uh, to be able to dialogue and share their perspectives and their recommendations about what we need to do to you know, to evolve uh, and, and help to deconstruct the issues that have continued to, to, um, to oppress us. So, um, and as a result of having these conversations, pr- providing uh, a platform, thanks to the um, Berkshire United Way, Berkshire Taconic, and partnering with the DA's office, it's been absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. So as John talks about the development of the Idea Jam, these young people will be ready Okay, they, they will be ready to present their voices, their opinions, their perspective, their philosophies. And it doesn't matter whether it's city government, you know, calling upon them to give their perspective, their experiences as young people of color, they're prepared. And, it, and that's why it's so important that I don't need to represent them because you're talking about brilliant young people who live in yes. the industry. Okay, so I don't need to be representing them at the table. They need to be at the table themselves. Right? I had a question, but it's not necessary now. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, there are no apologies needed. <laughs> right, that's what I'm saying. Yes, yes, yes. Moderating on. <laughs> yes, yes. Like she said, don't. <laughs> I think uh, just that idea of, right, uh, 
we talked about this a little bit last night, but like whose voices are not represented in, in this kind of thing? Like who are we also making space for within our own communities, right? We sort of talk about making space for other people, other marginalized identities, but that exists, like we said, like this, we are not a monolith. So like who else, right? <laughs> Youth can speak for itself. So how do we make sure that we, that I'm not putting in myself in a place to like, I'm speaking for all the, right? Like, who are the people that we all need to be bringing into this conversation? Can you so name that? They, that? I, well, I wish I could, <laughs> right? Just I wish, in, your own ex in your own experience, I just learned like it's easier. It was like, no, just start call, just naming like- Just naming it, right? You, like so, in your own. In your so own. for me, right, I think it is, right, like it's that, uh, it's the variety of the diaspora. It is, it's young and old. It's the ability community, the disability community, the LGBTIQ community of us, right? Who, who are those folks? It's the people um, of different socioeconomic uh, strata, right? And I, I think it's the thing and our work to do to actually look at our sort of, I'm going to use a real old school term, look at your Rolodex, who are all the people in your neighborhood, and like now start thinking, this is who, I keep talking about them, but I've never actually brought them into the conversation, right? Um, I think I think it is I think it is the entire rainbow of us, mm -hmm. um, right? Does, is that a cop out? Was that like a cheap way of like? No, no, Honestly, what you just spoke to was us like interacting with each other and our own, you know, groups, villages, communities mm -hmm. to unpack our internalized bias and our yes. internalized racism that has been put upon us by external supremacy. Yes. And mm -hmm. start unpacking some of those things within each other. Mm -hmm. right? We can't play well in the sandbox. Like we don't have to agree, but you don't have to throw sand on me. It's okay. Right, it's okay. All right. So until we unpack that, mm -hmm. it's gonna be harder to move forward be because our opposition can hate each other so the, as long as the day is long and they still have an understanding of what the win looks like. They don't yeah. have to get along. They understand the win. Exactly. But we, oh my God. you know, we, we have a different way of looking at it. So no, everything you said was spot on. <laughs> spot on. Now, um, and I appreciate that unpacking. There's some st unpacking that we have to do of ourselves. Absolutely. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Malia, it's Malia, yes? Okay. Yeah, um, yeah. Always intentional on getting everyone's name correct. Um, yes. How we pay for this? How do we get the How do we get the bank involved and make some changes? Because this costs money. Yes. Yes. You know, and I wanted to um, first just thank you. It's again, it's it's great to be here. Um, I wanted to speak to also a couple of things that were said because, um, as folks um, may know um, or may not know. Um, I'm a community organizer, and I've been a community organizer for more years. I'm up to the years now where you just say I've been a community organizer for some years. Um, so no one has to do the math. And, you know, I'm new to banking. Um, and your question, um, before I jump into that, I want to talk a little bit about you know, bringing organizers' eyes to banking, you know, because I think that, um, you know, Berkshire Bank um, is a mid-sized bank. Um, you know, we hold about $14 billion. Um, and while that's a lot of money, when we're talking about the money that America makes and has made for hundreds of years on our backs, um, that's not that much. But when I look at 
Berkshire Bank from an organizing perspective, I see that we can create models, right? We can prove that banks can do this. Um, you know, and I think that, um, so to answer your question, how do we pay for it? Um, you know, I, I mean, there's always grants, right? And, and grants are something great. What makes me uncomfortable about grants as an organizer um, is that it depends on the benevolence um, of the giver. Um, and I don't actually think that grants respect, um, we're owed stuff, right? We're, we're, we're owed stuff. Um, and, and that's the conversation. And I think figuring out how we have banks redefine risk, um, how we have banks, you know, when you look at um, where capital flows that actually builds wealth, it's home ownership and it's business ownership. And banks should be held accountable to CRA numbers, to the work that they do. Um, and no, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, but it is, in fact, it can happen. And so I hope that, um, you know, as we look at what this is going to cost, right, um, we also look at what is thriving as a community going to cost. And I think that that's going to be about building an economy. Um, I think it's decentralized. Um, I think we have to do better than the black dollar staying in the black community for six hours. Um, you know, I think there's, again, getting to some of that internal conversation that we have to have about getting along. You know, they don't have to get along. They have institutions. It just does it for them. Um, and they just have to protect those institutions. We actually have to build the institutions. So, you know, whether it's paying through grants or paying by banking people and flowing capital the way other people get capital flow to them, um, I think is, you know, is also a piece of it. Um, the last thing I'm going to say is I think that minority deposit institutions, um, meaning, you know, banks of color and CDFIs um, and other um, financial institutions that may not have the same pushback that I have um, in doing the work, not only in the industry, but also with the FDIC. We want to remember that redlining was an agreement made by government and banks. Um, it was something that governments encouraged banks to do because they saw areas as risky, as we all know. Um, you know, and I think that minority deposit institutions and CDFIs really can do a lot more. And so flowing capital and making investments and, and injections um, to folks who can bank differently that, than we can will also help us get some really good models that then we can bring to scale. Okay, y'all have so many cool things. <laughs> I'm trying to make sure I capture. I am the moderator, but I am also a participant. Uh, yes. The recording, the recording's coming. We can listen to Y'all, this is rich. Um, you, you took me out with bringing organizers' eyes to banking. Um, we can shut the screen. Um, to, to your point, um, and this is part of why Gwendolyn has me here and cause I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the thing and I'm gonna call it out and I'm gonna ask the question she did. She gave me the okay. Um, so that's our sign right here. It's good. Right, it's the sign. Um, and this is for everyone on the panel to, to speak to and share because what you talked about, um, the only way that is going to happen and the only way we are going to bank differently, the only way we are going to find out what it costs to thrive as a community. It's for everyone to use their, use their privilege 
um, in a way that's an accomplice. And so when I say that, let me lead with, I am primarily speaking to white people them using whatever access network privilege they have when they are in these spaces and they can get into these rooms that we cannot get into, they are going to have to, and it's not, but it's also not just on them, but they are going to have to step up. We are going to need you all to step up exponentially. And when I, and I use the word specifically accomplice, not ally, because I do think there's something important in having allyship. I think that's an entryway to accomplish it. And an ally is someone who's like, I will, so I will say the things, I will post the stuff, I will invite you into my home. Let's do it like this, because I'm Southerner. An ally will invite you into their home where others may not. You can sit at their table, you can eat their food. But if someone says something that is offensive or counter or disparaging or blocks, they won't speak to that person directly. An accomplice will speak to that person and check them on your behalf in their home without you having to as a person who is the, the product of that target, you won't have to exercise any of, you won't have to be exhausted by that interaction. They will be that buffer. So in essence, an accomplice gives up whatever privilege they have in order to support another person, right? And so I want to hear from you all what to, and, and I don't just say white people because I believe all the isms and all of us have privileges. I have extreme privilege. All of us have some type of privilege on here. So let's also put that out there. Black and brown people, we are not unprivileged. We do have our own. Um, so there is that. And so I'm asking specifically with, with and for um, white people on, on this panel and then what they can go back and say you know, to their cousins, um, what, do, what, what does that look like? What does being an accomplice right now specifically in the financial sector of this and the organizing sector of this look like in Berkshire's like, today at 2.26 p.m. <laughs> what do y'all need? Say now what you need. And this is for all panelists. So I can go first um, because I need accomplices. Um, you know, when I first took this job, um, I wrote an op-ed in um, The Globe that was called Going Corporate for a Cause. And I wanted the headline to be going in the house. Um, and for me, it, was a, it wasn't as easy of a decision as folks might think. Um, and, you know, being what I realized being inside um, is that you're fighting with your team, you know, and... Berkshire Bank is very much sold on this, yet traditions, how we do loans, right? I mean, this is, you know, how the FDIC looks at things. These things exist. Um, and so I was so happy that you brought out the definition between, or the differentiation between allies and accomplices, because, um, you know, what makes, what makes a good accomplice for me right now um, is someone who can help me block and tackle, you know, someone who can help me make my point. So for example, there's this oh, awesome um, philanthropist woman named Lynn Hooley. Um, she's a white woman originally from New Jersey. She's now in Oakland. And if there's deals that I want to do, for example, we're doing a deal with um, Tri-State Bank um, out of Memphis to help rebuild the, the Claiborne Temple um, out there into an economic development center. Um, that, that takes a lot of, um, that, that takes a lot of, you know, risk for the bank. 
Um, and so someone like her came in and she said, okay, we're going to collateralize, collateralize this um, so that we can move forward. And so accomplice, I would say, is it starts with saying something, but it's, as you said, it's leveraging your privilege um, and so that the, that the work can be done. Um, and, you know, for me, who's on the inside trying to make change, um, it can get very lonely and you, it's really helpful when you're not the only person always saying, well, what does this number look like? What does this number look like? Um, you know, so being proactive um, is, is very helpful. Thank you. We need some blocks and tackles, okay? <laughs> I would like to chime in and, and just say we also need some good offense. Um, We're just going to stick with the sports. Got it. We're okay. going to stick with it. We might on. as well go with it. Work it. Well, I, I think um, and one of the things that I'm seeing here in, um, in, in the Berkshires, which I think is very interesting, is that um, you have to be willing to give up power and collaborate in a way that moves power and distributes to a community that can actually handle it itself within its own framework to do it. Um, and that, that is where I see one of the real big issues, you know, that I think we should be really looking at in terms of saying, Hey, okay, Shirley works with youth, <laughs> you know, any funding that comes in the city as it relates to black and brown youth, or any youth that she's working with, then um, money should go directly to her fund. Like, why do we have to keep asking different structures to get money? Like, we need to get rid of the middleman, you know? And so you should be collaborating with me on getting funding. Um, I shouldn't be hearing about it that you got it on the back end to help out the black and brown community, which means that you're, you're in the back room planning with me, with the agenda, to get the funds to then marshal them to the organizations that can actually do it. Mm -hmm. We saw that as a big gap in COVID-19 and it, those, those power structures continue to play out. Mm -hmm. So the question is, is that, you know, it's not just about privilege, but are you really willing to give up power? Because what we're talking about is really the dismantlization and de deconstruction of a colonialized capitalist system that we wasn't involved in in the beginning you know, and that being played out over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I also think that we also have to look at from the perspective of um, there are too many ideas out there and in innovations. I looked at the Tulsa Fund, Jay Morse, who created a fund to teach people about real estate. He also provides loans and banking and teach people about the whole programming and credit. He got 10,000 investors of black folks. <laughs> to invest in this fund. And they built a actual building in Atlanta where they do this work. And we provided ownership. So there is also this language that we also have to look at in terms of you know, uh, us learning to invest in our own ideas and understanding to value ourselves enough and our ideas and our businesses to invest in them themselves. Mm -hmm. Then we begin to, if we do that, then we begin to dismantle the structures because then you know, we're not asking for money, we're creating money. We spend a trillion dollars a year mm -hmm. in consumer goods. Yeah. So, and I'm saying there's enough examples out there as it relates to that, that I think it's, it's, it's relatively important. So I think, you, like I said, so, I, and for me, I want you on my team for that offense. I don't wanna come ask you for money. I don't want you getting a grant in my name, in the black community's name, <laughs> any of that. 
because then, I mean, we got to keep it like super real. I'm not from here. So in Kansas City, you don't, we don't play that. That is not something that is happens. We have our own uh, institutions and structures to marshal resources within our communities. And we collaborate with the white community or the state and the government to get those monies there, or we invest in those with our own capital ourselves. So I think that that's kind of like, if we're looking at economics and why this gap existed, it exists in those areas, mm -hmm. you know, that are directly related to power structures and then how we perceive ourselves in terms of our own internalized racism or not looking at how we can build institutions, invest in them, and then marshal our own resources. I look at it as, for example, and, and I'll wrap it up, but W. Du Bois talked about the talented 10th, and I wanted to deconstruct that because he thought it was a 10th and then they would be talented and then help the people. I said, well, why, did, why, why should we look at this as we have 10 to 50% of contributions that we can give. We have talents, talents of our own tenth and skills that we can invest into our own community. Everyone, how does that look? Then we are talking about contributionism, whether we're investing. And a good example of that that's happening right now is right now Ari, who's owning Divine, has created a cannabis business. He's opening it up for people to invest in that business, but they also have a program from the profits of that when that business opens up that they're going to give and create a program to help black and brown kids to uh marshal other businesses or learn that business mm -hmm. those are the things that i'm talking about and i want when you say privilege and power and how we structure that white folks should be helping him out do that because we know that that's coming and his wife and it's all that his stuff is moving that and chad is doing that that's what we're talking about in terms of accomplices mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's there's some fundamental differences there that I think we have to really look at, no, you know, absolutely. in terms of how we move that forward. Absolutely. Both. The, so I am an equal opportunity checker. I will check if I will check us. I will check others. Like, <laughs> equal opportunity for everybody. Here. Like everyone can get it. Um, and I appreciate that you brought that into the room um, because it's. <laughs> I'm sorry, Nick is really cracking up at me right now. I love that I can see people's faces because I love it. But no, it is both like, don't make me have to come to you and do all of that work. The amount of just, it is exhausting being black and brown in America. Like it just, it is exhausting. Mm -hmm. And so if you could just do something to offset some of that exhaustion and come to me with what you heard in the back room or at the you know, whatever event or the networking or just on the phone or hanging out, like bring it to me and let me decide what I want to do with it. And equally with our own communities, not like have faith in ourselves and not wait for it to be verified by a white person to think we can invest in it. Like us being able to be like, oh, we're doing it, then we need to do it and we need to support and also not just supporting it because someone black did it or someone brown did it, like supporting a good business because we're supporting each other. Right. Exactly. Um, so I appreciate. Can I just jump in there for a second? Sure. I'm sorry because I want to. What you're saying is so golden as well because we end up disqualifying ourselves sometimes, mm -hmm. um, you know, and and we saw this a lot with PPP or you know with other with other things that that take a bit of risk and I think we don't. It's like unless we have legitimacy from a white you know mentor VC incubator blah 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 we don't think that our businesses are worth investing in as individuals, you know, and then I think that plays out to, to our community. So um, what you're saying there, it's like, say it louder for the people in the back. Um, that is core. We make other companies very, very wealthy. And if we thought that another pair of shoes 
you know, that we were only going to like Ivy Park if it was on a Black-owned sneaker company and not Adidas, Ivy Park might not, it, may, it probably would have Ivy Park, but you guys get what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, y- you know, um, our buying power is incredible. Thank you. Um, you're, yes, to all of that. Shirley, would you like to add anything into, what do you need? Like, what, what do you need right now from your, your, your white brothers and sisters and then other people with intersecting privileges? I think uh, John covered it um, very nicely. And um, I, I, I think from, from both perspectives in terms of us developing relationships and trusting each other um, in our own communities, uh, as, as well as trying to strengthen our relationships um, with others, you know, so uh, whites and those uh, in privileged situations, positions, and those in power. Um, and I think, um, you know, th- there are a few of us, and, and, and myself included, because of how long we've been doing the work, we have some relationships, you know, and they're, they're, we, we, I, I can acknowledge and I'm very grateful. You know, one of my accomplices is 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 on the uh, is is hanging out here with us today. <laughs> you know, she makes sure that I have information. Um, she emails me. She does whatever is necessary to make sure that I'm aware because she's at the table. She's at the table. She's in the room, and because uh, you know, I'm not everywhere. Even though people think I am, you know, I'm not at all tables. <laughs> so it's extremely helpful extremely um, helpful to have folks who are at the table, you know, giving you a nudge saying, this is, this is available. Um, you need to consider applying for this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, that's, that, that's to me is the uh, probably one of the most important um, roles that an accomplished can, an accomplished can play for us in the Berkshires. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to, expand this a little bit. I know we were talking mainly to the panelists, but I am aware that there are other uh, people of color who are leading or in leadership or working in organizations. And I want them to say what they need in this room right now as well, because we have everyone here. So we're going to pivot. Y'all will learn this about me. We're like, I had a plan. <laughs> it was a suggestion. Um, and so I would like for any other Let person. Let the move through you, girl. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I would, well, holla. I would like for anyone else who is in leadership, um, and I do consider anyone working in nonprofit in leadership, because, whoo, yes. Um, I would love for you all to, to come into the room and say what you need uh, right now in this time, because you have a captive audience to speak to it. So call it out, call it in. So I open this up to everyone, uh, every person of color who's working in in this work right now. Well, thank you for passing on the floor. I have a few ideas that come to mind and I appreciate all the thoughts that everyone else has brought to the table. Um, I think that we need to create a linkage between uh, what's going on in the eastern part of the state and what's going on with the western part of the state and everything in between. And I think that we can use uh, the Black Economic Council and the mass Black Economic Council to do that work in terms of facilitating initiatives that are going up, uh, going on across regions. So we can stay informed on projects and programming and funding opportunities, but also that way that we can centralize our message. Because with respect to everyone's regions and subregions, there are different plights that you know uh, impact uh, specific areas. That being said. 
a lot of those plights, I'm sure that they, they do cross a lot of sectors and industries. So what are we doing to share ideas and then um, one, create local funding opportunities or fundraising opportunities, but also I always think, you know, black people need to make their own money, whether it's businesses or fundraising or, or crowdfunding, whatever, or they should also be working to get state dollars as well. And I think that the BEC and other community organizations should work towards um, implementing and, and creating our own black lobbyists to advocate for us at the state house. And I think being a part of the Senate, you know, we need to push the legislators who say that they're about DEI to put the funding where their mouths are. So instead of um, surely getting an earmark from Adam and Adam serving as a middleman, let's just have a state line item for black economic prosperity. Cause that should be the push. Take some of that pie, cut it for black people so then they can get some of the state dollars. And I think that really needs to get, we need to get the gears turning on that initiative. I don't know how to best start that, but I'm sure some of you guys will do. Um, you brought it in the room. I don't want to take up too, too much time, but there are other things that are coming up to mind having to do with COVID-19 and how to best respond. I think that we need technical assistance funding so families can work remotely. I know that sharing a computer is not easy. Sharing a printer is not easy. Uh, these are just difficulties that people are experiencing at home. And then on top of that, they need childcare. Working families need to have a place for their children and what are, what's gonna be safe for them, but also what's gonna be cost effective. And I know that the business models for childcare are now changing because there's a cap on how many um, staff to children can be at a space for childcare facilities. So that you know presents a challenge. Still, we need to figure it out. And I know that there's a, a deficit in the, in the budget of $6 billion. So that means local aid is going to be cut by 10 to 20%. So what does that mean for the little bit that was making its way into the hands of black people in, our, in, in, the, in the Commonwealth? That means that, like Dennis said, when, when, black, when white people have a cold, black people have pneumonia. You know what I mean? That, that's how that plays out uh, when, when it comes to funding. So that's just some of the ideas that are coming to mind, but I, I do want to hear what other people have uh, going on in their worlds too. Thank you, AJ. Thank you. Anyone else? Ooh. Seems like Brian think, is kind of. Hi. Um, hi. Can you hear me? I can. I saw you yeah. lean forward. I'm like, he's trying to <laughs> get good. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I just wanted to share something. I, something that came up uh, as John was speaking. I mean, he mentioned the idea of how mass incarceration is a, is an economic issue, say for for communities. And and I think with that, um, I think we all of us here and and everyone needs to continue to push. I think law enforcement agencies, you know, I, I, like the like DA offices, like police departments, to continue. To, to look at their policies, to, to look at how they're uh, addressing, interacting with young people, um, it, all these different ways, because yes, it is an, you know, mass incarceration is an economic issue and, and, and it affects 
you know, those, uh, us more uh, directly and, and stronger in that area. So I, I think that's one reason we need to continue to push, continue to, to, to have these agencies address their policies of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, 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 and look at how they're doing the work that we're all uh, asking them to do and that they're in charge of handling. So that, that hit me, just that connection with economics and incarceration. So I wanted to throw that out there. Absolutely. Yeah, let me chime in on that just a little bit. Um, just some research is, is that 81% of the people that were summoned in New York right now just for social distancing and masks and not wearing their masks, 80, 81% were black and brown men. So this is the new stop and frisk that's uh, actually occurring. Yeah. So what does that look like in our community? And I had that conversation. And, and I just want to say that Shirley is the one who really had a conversation with me as it relates to the Black Economic Council, making sure that mass incarceration and social justice reform was a part of that conversation and dialogue as it related to economic issues, because it goes directly to if you're in jail, you can't work. How does that affect you know parents, families, and also children? You know, and we have to look at that. And even looking at it in the Berkshires, we haven't um, begun to pose um, with. And I agree with you, Brian. We have to begin some kind of uh, impact charter, setting meeting with the mayor, these police departments, um, because you know um, what's happening is is that they open up the golf course, and you know we always say, well, what about the basketball court? You know, the police are not going to be monitoring. You know, the actual you know, golf courses, they're not going to be there. But right. if we're not social distancing and wearing masks on the basketball court, that's where the punitive is. And we know not only in our interaction with police or that is, I could be playing basketball, that that, that interaction is not only, um, it's also a health risk. I could lose my life as well. Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, I just like that the fact that you brought that up, that's Brian. And when we talk about accomplices, we should all be sitting down talking with the mayor about like how, are you in the police department how are you going to institute this ideal of social distancing and having policies and procedures in place so if someone doesn't have a mask you're not arresting them you're giving them a mask <laughs> and then you're keeping it moving i mean i'm you actually know. in i'm in new york right now i'm in new york city right now and it is wow it's crazy i know not making it up this is exactly yeah. what's happening right yeah. here. I, I was actually stopped at first in new york on new mm -hmm. year's eve during bloomberg and was completely you know harassed and you know terrorized uh coming in for new year's eve weekend and so i know exactly what you're talking about yeah like, so we're, we're getting to see it again um yeah. i want to i want to oh, go ahead i just wanted to talk a little bit about accomplice just from the bridge perspective for a second sure. answering that question awesome. um and it's really just amplifying what john said about um people being on the offense because again the impetus for new pathways was a lot of decisions were being made and resources are being marshaled into berkshire county and the folks at the table that, that like Bridge, understand the work, who've worked with Shirley or John or myself, they weren't saying, well, where, where are they? Or where are the voices that we need to hear? And, and then once we finally ourselves knock the doors down, then there's all this scrutiny and all this stuff. So the voices of white people at these tables before we have to ask you to help us is really, really important. And I know John framed that as being on the offense, but I think many of you sit on philanthropic tables and you know, I don't even know what they're all called, CEO roundtables and Western Mass funders. I hear about all these groups. Um, and I, that's where the work has to happen. And that's where your discomfort is gonna come in. So the accomplices really have to put the skin in the game in those spaces, right? And that's what I think really needs to be 
held up, right? So yeah, I mean, it's third-party substantiation. Huh? Yeah, it's, it's third-party substantiation. If I'm going to get out there and, you know, say and fight for our rights and stuff, who's going to back me? Who's going to support me? Yes, you sure. Uh, when nobody's looking, right? When no one's looking, when I'm not there, agents right. there. Exactly. What are you saying or what are you doing? And mm -hmm. hear those code words when they start scrutinizing, right? Like I've been told now I need to attach to other white supremacist structures to continue getting the support that I need, right? We were doing just fine the last eight weeks doing it in our bridge model and the mutual aid model. But now if I'm going to continue, I've got to start attaching to these structures. That is exactly what bridge has been disrupting for the last 12 years. So listen for that. You have to be on at all times listening for that and disrupting that. No, thank, thank you for bringing that in the room. And that's and, and I want to make sure I give space for like other people to share, but it, it's, it's that, right? That's part of our exhaustion because we are on all the time. We are always listening to the double meaning of everything that's being said and what's being said to us versus what's being implied, what the body language is doing. It's like, there is never a moment to just be. Um, and it is hard and it is a really tough muscle to grow and exercise. And so also an understanding is us calling you in to be our accomplices. We are also giving grace as you learn because we wouldn't wish this on anyone. And so it is not, it is not easy and we still need your help in doing so. Um, I also wanna make space for any other people of color who would like to share their experiences or what they need right now. And this is more so for some of the more introverted folks. I'm quite extroverted, so I've learned I need to like pull back. And so we are all gonna just kind of be quiet for a moment. And so that introvert can take that moment and pop in if they need to and say, what they need to say. And if not, if it's a long enough pause, we'll move to the next thing. But we would love to hear from everyone who wants to share. A very shocking thing came into one of the rooms I was in, one of the Zoom meetings where, and because it's a really small town, there's some, you know, West Stockbridge, there's, um, um, Otis and Stanisfield, apparently the police department has the key to the food pantry. And it, it went over just like water off the duck's back, but what self-preserving person, black or brown body, can go to the police department and ask for food. Wow. That's not going to be, that That will never happen. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, was, it was the comfortability of all the people in the room who were, who were saying this that was so shocking. I mean, they have to know that these black and brown bodies are definitely being threatened and that they're that they're just even going there. It would be aggressive act, maybe, perhaps. So I was saying that that was not going to work. You know, that we got a whole swath of people, again, that's being left to the margins, and the, some people are so comfortable with it. I needed the white people in that room to say, what are you saying? That, that's not going to work for this group of people, these vulnerable, um, marginalized groups. They're not going to go to the police department and put their lives at risk. 
you, the, I'm sorry, you cut out the last piece was their lives are at risk? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you. Um, take a pause for anyone else who would like to share. Um, so I'm I would how in this area, it's so easy for people to go into those structures, into the systemic thinking. Okay. Thank you. Don, you wanted to? Yeah, I mean, I think I wanted to tease it out a little bit, Gwendolyn's uh, idea that, right, like uh, these organizations, culturally specific, social justice oriented, right, POC led organizations are being asked now to attach themselves to white organizations so that they can, right, like uh, get funding that they can be considered that verified sort of stamp. Because um, I think one of the things, one of the things that I need right, are for these organizations that call themselves accomplices to actually really sort of interrogate that and take it apart. What does it mean to be an accomplice? Because I think a lot of people are saying it, but they're not actually about it. Um, and so I am hearing a lot here in the city, um, these white-led organizations that are saying, we're going to look at our position of power and try to use it um, to the advantage of other folks, but I don't see them actually doing it. I hear them saying it, but not doing it. And those are two different things. And the saying it, I think is a thing that gets them uh, credibility. Uh, the saying it is the thing that gets them press and gets them visibility, but then that is taking away from the organizations that actually need that support and those dollars. Um, and I think the other question is then who who are these organizations talking to? Where are they getting their information from? These white-led organizations that are saying, we are gonna leverage our power for the betterment of, of these disenfranchised communities. Great, but then uh, what's your kitchen cabinet? Like who are those people that you're actually talking to that are telling you very specifically, these are the needs of the community. This is how you can advocate for us. Right, um, I can't tell you how many times I've had people say, I'm gonna get you in front of this funder and then not do it. Like, oh, what I meant was I might send an email sometime when we're partnered on a specific thing. So I'm like, what? Or they try and then they got pushed back. And they're like, I'm on. Which is, which is totally fair. Um, and if they tell me that, then I'm like, I get that. Mm -hmm. But it's the like, really interrogate what does it mean to be an accomplice versus right. being an ally if you are a word spreader if you are like how how can we support you but the people who are putting themselves again between us and harm the people who are opening space between like our community and funding or representation like the i want to see a deeper sort of understanding of that mm -hmm. and the understanding of it's not necessarily giving up power it's sharing power that mm -hmm. some people so much, so much that to let a little of that go or to share a little of that um, is going to be a benefit to us all. Um, so that's that's what I need. Oh, okay, well, let's get it. Um, so we are now going to transition into breakthrough sessions, not breakout, but breakthrough <laughs> session. Yeah. Um, and you are going to sit with, I think, three to four other people. Um, and share a lot has been a lot has been uh, shared right now. I believe there's a question or two that'll come in and I want to invite because I never require I only invite I am, You know my my southern hospitality. I want to invite uh, my white brothers and sisters on this call to just really dig into what you heard and how you can show up 
and what that means. And also, honestly, it's like, yeah, I'm struggling with that one. Can I just name it? Like, I'm struggling with being able to do X. Mm-hmm. And I just need to put that out there and I need to say that to someone because you also don't have a space. Like, supremacy is also imperfection and you thinking you have to be perfect in how you manage this. Yeah. And you get to say, I don't, I'm, I, I struggle with being able to say this in front of these groups and that's okay. Because now it can be named. You can work on it, but it can at least be named somewhere. And so I want all of that to come into the room and I want you to feel invited to, to have a safe space to do that as well because we are all working in this together. And so I'm gonna pass it back over to Gwendolyn to lead us into the, the breakthroughs. Um, we'll keep it moving. Hello, welcome back everybody. Um, so we want to hear from every group. We had four groups. Yes. Um, we want to hear from every single group. Um, you have been on some of these sessions. I'm in my still in the session. Um, some of you have, have been in these sessions with me before and you will hear me say again, welcome to your working group. Um, I don't believe anything is by chance or by choice. So all of you are in here together. This is not the end. This is the beginning of your collective relationship building holding each other accountable in love and how we're going to make these changes going forward. So you're gonna get these notes after and I do hope you all stay in contact and connection to make these things happen. And so we wanna hear from each group. Um, we want a representative from each group. You have two minutes, I repeat, two minutes to share out from your groups and your sessions. Um, and we will keep it moving. All right, group one. That was John's group. So whoever's a designated um, reporter, but it was John's group. Danye, Jeff, John, Lisa, Nick, and Stacy. Yeah. Jeff, Jeff, can you please go? You just said some really beautiful things in there. If you don't mind. <laughs> um, sure. I've uh, <laughs> give me just a second to set myself a uh, a two minute timer here. I want to we make got sure you. We got you, oh, we have okay. you on the timer. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Um, so we talked, uh, we talked about several pieces. Um, first, we talked about um, sort of structural analysis. Um, Lisa shared about some of the work that, um, that she was inspired to do through the PSAB uh, Institute and how she's trying to change uh, grant making procedures um, at MCLA. Um, and uh, and then we actually dug a little deeper and started looking at like, how could we actually uh, dismantle those structures? You know, how do we look at the structures that are in place around a board and look at, uh, you know, bringing, uh, you know, actually not just working within those structures and sort of, uh, you know, changing the processes a little, the processes a little, but really getting into how do we change those structures in the first place to transfer power, you know, back to black and brown communities. Um, and then uh, we sort of uh, dug a little deeper into um, systemic change and accompliship. Um, we talked about, uh, you know, what that really means. Um, and uh, we also talked about sort of the, the trap of uh, um, sort of am amplifying the work or congratulating people for the work that's being done um, rather than taking opportunities to engage. Um, and really create the need to like create those opportunities to engage. Um, even if we feel like we, you know, white folks, um, particularly if we feel like we don't have, uh, we don't have resources, we don't have networks uh, where we could engage to really like actually take a look and in inventory and say, okay, well, who, you know, who do I know? You know, maybe I'm not on a grant making board, but who do I know who has economic resources? Who do I know who has a connection here? Um, you know, how can I transfer those connections you know, back out um, and really, you know, put, 
put some skin in the game and how can I keep asking myself how I can go deeper and keep going back to people of color that I'm in relationship with and asking, where do you actually need me to show up? Like not what are the spaces where I want to engage, but what are the spaces where you need me to show up um, so that I can engage and have your back and take off that labor. And I see my time is up. Uh, I hope that I, I covered everything for our group. Thank you. It was amazing. Thank you. I got six questions, but I can't ask them. I'll wait. <laughs> sounds so good. Um, okay, group two. Who do we have for group two? Oh, sorry. Um, Shirley's group. It was Donna, Erica, Huff, and Josie. So Donna, I, uh, I'm, oh, I sort of volunteered after giving everyone else the opportunity to be the note taker. <laughs> so, <laughs> but we had a really great discussion. We didn't so much talk about the processes and the structures as we really continued that conversation about the accomplices and how we can mindfully show up to do the work. Um, I, I suggested, I recommended everybody try to watch the video from this morning if you weren't there. One of my favorite takeaways from that was that rather than speaking to the converts, we really want to poke put our attention and speak to the skeptics and get their perspective, have them open to hearing our perspective. And then those trusted relationships are really what's going to help help move that forward. Josie, who talked about the white, the white supremacy culture that came up and just how we were brought up to, um, you know, not to just kind of stay in our own lane and avoid conflict and not um, push against the culture. So it's, we all have to be open to changing our mindset and looking at things new ways. Um, we have to be ready to have conversations that make people feel uncomfortable. And that takes a lot of courage. So finding that courage, um, Huff brought up that, you know, even there's, um, we noticed a lot with the COVID that the funding money for COVID that people who normally were at the table and thought we thought were accomplices in our work, um, all of a sudden, when the, there was limited funds to give out to COVID, they went right back to wanting to give it to their own groups and forgot about looking at the other groups that might need it more, or at least equally. Um, so we really all have to be advocates. Um, um, and Shirley, you know, talked about her own journey and that how she always started the day really mindfully thinking about I'm coming into work every day. I really want to show up. I want to be open and aware. I'm going to be faced with bias today. I want to be prayerful and considerate mm -hmm. of how I'm going to, how I'm going to, um, address, you know, welcome that. <laughs> um, and then her last words of advice were really to just continue low, growing, learning, reading, watching videos, finding your resources. Um, and don't be so hard on yourself. It's a journey. We're going to have ups and downs and just, um, just show up. So thank you. Thank you. Y'all are showing out in these breakthrough sessions. Okay. I want to be a part of this working group. All right. Group three. <laughs> It was Don's group, so Amy, Ari, Brian, and Janet. We didn't talk about who was going to do the report back. Um, I can I can get it started, and then if I miss anything, folks can hop in if that works. I can't see. Every, okay, cool. Um, so we talked about um, in terms of organizations that have said they can't prioritize DEI work right now. That that comes from just a real misunderstanding of what community care looks like. Um, 
because when we uplift black communities, everyone benefits from that. And I think something that Gwendolyn really lifts up through bridge work is that um, our liberation is tied, right? So there needs to be like a shifting um, for white folks in the work from thinking about charity or like helping to, you know, we're in this together and like, what do we need to do to create the community that we all want to live in? Um, and that looks like, you know, not being gatekeepers, um, at not minimizing, we talked about some trends, like how folks often minimize the number of black and brown folks in Berkshire County um, as a tool to say, you know, oh, this isn't as significant. Um, and um, we also talked about how funders are in a unique position to hold organizations accountable. Um, you know, it's trend, it's, what was that? Uh, it's, you know, a lot of people are saying that they care about equity and inclusion and then are not actually um, putting their actions in, in that way. So um, how are funders really creating mechanisms for accountability um, so that it's not just people are saying it to get the grant, but that there's actually a checklist that they have to go through of how they're making good on the ways in which they're supporting black and brown communities um, or, or supporting leadership. Um, and then right at the end, we started talking about reparations um, and, and housing, uh, and data. And it was, we could have talked for a lot longer. <laughs> you will soon, Ari, you will soon. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you. Um, group four. Oh yeah. So that was Malia's group, but she didn't make it in there. Right. So Marianne, Stephanie, and Sorelli, and Malia and AJ have to come. Want to speak for us? Who? Sorelli? Would you like to talk? Sure, sure I can. Um, so we also continued the allies um, versus accomplice conversation. Um, and we really, we went into the fact that um, especially those organizations or initiatives that are feel stuck and are kind of looking for that next step into access of communities and need, particularly brown um, and black communities, um, that it's not about reinventing the wheel, but it's about taking that extra step for that research and not expecting those communities to reach out to you because they may not be able to and they also may not know who you are but if you have the access if you have the ability to take that extra step and um, we mentioned that this group right here is that great beginning um, and reaching out to this group and um, connecting to those are communities that everybody is working with and um, we're all working in different aspects in arts and health and um, in with food pantries. So, you know, this is a great resource to start expanding that network. Um, and then in the, I, we started talking about nonprofits and how um, right now really something that um, me personally in a nonprofit um, is the, the need, what we need from that white community is a collaborative, um, as you know, right now I'm in a, a organization where I'm the only staff of color and um, that pressure is really on me right now, especially after layover, seeing um, the my diverse and um, my collaborative disband and leave. So how, how to have your voice be heard when they tell you they want to hear your voice, but when you say something, um, it's um, either too confrontational or um, it's kind of what they want to do but don't have the time to and then being the only one that can really bring that voice. Um, so yeah. 
Thank you, Zareli. Thank you. Ooh, um, give yourselves a hand. <laughs> give give yourselves a hand. I I have been doing some form of facilitation work for almost two decades, and you don't get this level of honesty and and trust and vulnerability in a lot of sessions where it takes a lot of time to get there. And what you all did in these like two hours, don't take that lightly. You, you all are something special and I like it's palpable right here. And so I, I invite you to keep this going and the conversations that you started in these sessions, continue to meet with each other, talk with each other, be the accomplice in all the areas of your particular privilege. Um, you all did, have done something today that doesn't always happen in these sessions. So be proud of yourself for that because it is not easy. So thank you because y'all blew it out the park. Thank you. Um, and I will pass it over to Gwendolyn. Thank you. So I did know that, I echo that. I just put in the chat that um, I, it really speaks to the strength of our Berkshire community and the networks of folks that are surrounded with bridge and partnership and clients and accompliceship and all those different things. So thank you all for being here. Thank you for even trusting me and signing up and saying yes, we participate in this because it's all new. It wasn't even a thought six weeks ago. So thank you all for being here. And um, thank you for supporting in all the ways that you do. And I, this, this is just an important conversation to continue. We've been saying that these labs are meant to be think tanks and action labs and we'll send out the notes and everybody's contact information, but it's, it's a reset, right? It's not a starting point, but it's a reset but for us to continue deepening the work and creating a new future. We have all these quotes that I can send to you in the notes, but it, there it was no normal before that's something to return back to. It left all these communities out. So what we need to do is create a new future. And that means every step of the way, every meeting we're at, challenging what's going on, challenging the norms, the attitudes and the assumptions each and every time and looking around the table to see whose, whose faces and voices and perspectives are missing and, and pausing until you get them there, however you get them there. So I think that's, that's just the ending challenge and thought that I wanna leave everyone with. And with that, we're gonna do our traditional closing and I just want the one word about your experience of this afternoon. And an invitation to come play trivia with us one of the next three Friday nights. So there's a social hour at eight o'clock on Friday nights for the next three weeks. But one word, I'm gonna start with Josie. Uh, one word, energized. All right, Lisa. Accomplice. All right, Erica. Passionate. Passionate. Uh, Danye. Uh oh, I think we lost your sound. We have to come back to you. Um, Janet? Grateful. All right. Huff? Challenged. All right. Donna? I need to hide less. Mm. <laughs> There's a lot of hyphens in that one word. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't think of one word for that. <laughs> Thank you. Sorelli. Honored. All right. Thank you. Stacy. 
visibility. All right, Amy. Uh oh. <laughs> Grateful. All right, thank you, uh, Stephanie. Expansion. All right. Um, Brian? Um, Brian? Oh, edified. Right. Shirley? Satisfied. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> uh, Jeff? Community. Nick? Challenged. Challenged, all right. Danya, do you have sound? Not yet? You visit Stephanie. Do social distancing. Go visit Stephanie for <laughs> Marianne. <laughs> she can chat. What, Marianne? Inspired. All right. Ari. Reparations. Okay. Um, I'm good. Kanye, go ahead. I feel calm. Calm. All right. And then Shanti. So proud. Uh, I just, again, I said this last night, but fulfilled. I'm really grateful that you're all here. We got a lot of work to do, but yes. Can we give a quick hand for Gwendolyn? Cause this is not easy putting together. Woo! Woo! <laughs> yes, thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Gwendolyn, thank you. Thank you, thank everyone for being here. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. We wanna thank the Bridge Sustaining Donors and organizational members, as well as our New Pathways sponsors, the Pumpkin Foundation, the Moonlight Mile Fund, Berkshire COVID Response from the Berkshire United Way and Berkshire Taconic Community Foundation, Massachusetts College of Liberal Arts, MCLA, and the Crane Foundation. Be well, do as much good work as you possibly can, and stay safe out there. This is our great opportunity, I think, to create great change.